take your Bibles and find the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. We'll be looking at chapter 2. You might notice that there's a couple of texts we're using today. It is but only one sermon, but uh, we're going to start with the 2 Kings, go to the 1 Kings 19 here in just a moment. And yes, I know that song, and I uh, know Psalm 46 a little bit better, but it was a God thing. I did not uh, choose it because, or even realizing that we were singing it today, And uh, but I, I like the picture of the river, the river that... Uh, makes God happy that flows, and we know that that river flows from Jesus, and we're excited. Good to see you today. We're glad that you're here. We always have guests. Some of you are guests today, and we're glad that you all have come. Sometimes you visit a place, you think, you're the only guest. Everybody knows everybody else, but we, I mean, we do know a lot, but, uh, but you're not the only one, and uh, we're glad that you're here. We hope that you'll consider making Parkway Baptist Church your church home or being involved as we continue to do ministry, continue to serve the Lord and serve our community and the world around us. But uh, we're glad you're here. We're in 2 Kings chapter 2, going to be reading verses 1 through 14 today. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1, this now is the word of God. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha, and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And as they both were standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up, struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire, horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. I will tell you that today serves as kind of a transition for us a little bit today. We've had this sermon series, What Can God Do? Learning Lessons from Elijah's God. We spent a few weeks looking at uh, what can we learn from Elijah and Elisha's God. And so we've been looking back and forth a little bit. As a matter of fact, last week we were in 2 Kings 3 as we talked about God and Country Sunday and we kind of were looking at how we as believers might be able to take a Christian stand even in the nation and have an influence in the nation in which we live today. So we're going back just a little bit as we look at 2 Kings 
chapter 2, and it's the last time that Elijah and Elisha are going to be together. And as a matter of fact, we, we read the very last day that Elijah was on earth. Now, if you have a hard time sometimes distinguishing or remembering the difference between Elijah and Elisha, who did what, uh, well, hopefully by today this will help you just a little bit. i got to tell you, I know the difference between Elijah and Elisha, and still sometimes I will call Elisha, Elijah, or vice versa. So if it happens today, please forgive and hopefully won't take away from the direction in which we're going and being able to understand the lessons that we are talking about here today for his purposes. Elisha, being the disciple of Elijah, we're going to talk about today focusing on making God known and particularly to the next generation. Now, I've got to tell you, I've read this passage several times before, several times this week, and particularly this week, every time that I've read the passage, it has reminded me of somebody else in the Bible. Another biblical example in the Bible that has reminded me as we go forward. So today, as we kind of work our way through this passage, we're going to be thinking about some examples we have that perhaps this passage reminds us of as we continue to learn the lesson of how to make Jesus known. I'm going to be asking the question, can you find a good example? So we want you to be able to find a good example in the Bible as well as other places. Or who does this remind you of? Such as this passage and Elijah particularly, I think it's the most obvious in the passage we read, reminds us of Moses. You've got your notes there. You might want to follow along. But Elijah and Moses, I want you to consider they had a lot in common. Both parted the waters. Actually, the Lord parted the waters, but Moses at the Red Sea. And here we have Elijah here at the Jordan River. Both called down fire from heaven. Both altered the weather. Moses at, there at the plagues in Egypt. And we have Elijah who prayed that it did not rain for three years. Though Through Moses, God brought manna from heaven. Through Elijah, God brought food for a widow and her son as well as for himself and others. Both encountered God on a mountain. It was Moses that was on Mount Sinai. It was Elijah on Mount Carmel. Also, you might remember that both appeared in the New Testament. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And both called for God's people to follow the true and living God. It was Moses who was the lawgiver before they went into the promised land to remind God's people to follow God's law and to be faithful. It was Elijah who was calling God's people to repentance, come back to God's law, and to be obedient to Him. We may see more similarities as we work through this passage, but here's one of the lessons we learned both from Elijah and from Moses, and that is this. Remain faithful to the task that God has given you. Remain faithful to the task or the job that God has for you. That is, if you want to be an example, if you want to be an influence, it's good reason. It's great incentive for us to be able to remain faithful to God. Now, Moses and Elijah had their downfalls. Moses had his anger issue. You might remember that he struck the rock. It was Elijah who had some issues with depression and his lack of self-worth, but God used them. They remained faithful to the very end. Unlike some of our examples that we have in the Bible, they finished well. So here in our passage today, we have Elijah and his disciple, Elisha. I'm going to try to say it slowly sometimes so that I might remember, maybe help us as well. But they're making a journey through parts of the promised land that are well known to Bible students. They begin in Gilgal, they go to Bethel, and then to Jericho, and then beyond the Jordan River. Their journey through Bethel and Jericho are similar. Now we're not told why they're in Gilgal. Gilgal was a central place for idol worship and it may have been there that they were preaching and warning 
the Israelites not to worship idols, but to only worship the true and living God, part of being faithful to the end. But before leaving Gilgal, there's a conversation where Elijah asks Elisha what seems to be a strange question. It's actually a statement, but he's, I believe it's more of a question. Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Doesn't that seem strange request from the mentor of Elisha to ask him to stay and to not go with him, especially since the writer in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, tells us that this is going to be his last day. He's going to be taken away in the whirlwind. And, uh, and we know it's going to be his last day. A couple of things I want you to notice. Since Elijah seems to know that this is going to be his last day, I want you to notice what he does or what he says or doesn't say. Because a lot of people in the Bible, when they knew their time was coming, they'd gather the folks around them or the family or around them. Uh, several did, of course, in the Bible. Uh, King David had some parting words. We know that Joseph did, Abraham, as well as many of the patriarchs, even Moses. Moses' last words made up 34 chapters of our Bible. It's what we call the book of Deuteronomy. And this is where Moses and Elijah are not alike. Moses had a lot to say. Elijah did not have so much to say. Don't you wish preachers were much more like Elijah than they were like Moses? Come on, it's okay as well. But Elijah takes Elisha on a journey, and we get to come along. Now, some of you that love to travel, and I know that you do because you've been traveling some already, or some of you that just like, maybe like to take a long walk, we're going to be able to travel or take this walk with Elijah and Elisha today, and it's a journey of remembrance. But also, I want you to know when Elijah said to Elisha, you stay here. God's told me to go to Bethel. I think what was happening is Elisha, maybe through how God led this upon him, was giving Elisha his final exam before he was going to be the prophet of God. He didn't want him to stay, actually, as much as he wanted to reveal his faithfulness to the Lord. Would he continue to follow? And would he continue to be faithful to his mentor and teacher? And Elisha makes this statement. He says, as the Lord lives, as long as you are alive, I will stay with you. Now, there's some irony there because Elijah's not going to die. And surely Elisha did not know, even though he might have known it was going to be his last day. He did not know what was going to take place. And in Bethel, they come to, and there's a group of men there known as the sons of the prophets. And apparently there's a training area in Bethel, like a training place for prophets or soon to be prophets or preachers. Now, you might remember earlier in Elijah's ministry when he was cried out to God at a low point and said, I'm all alone. All of God's prophets are gone and I'm here by myself. That God revealed to him. He was not all alone. There were 7,000 who had not bowed down to Baal or to any other idols. And hundreds of God's prophets, 100 of God's prophets were hiding in the cave from wicked Queen Jezebel. But here in Bethel and in Jericho were the sons of those who had remained faithful and disciples that were serving God. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Do you know today that the Lord will take away your master from you? Did you notice Elisha's reply? He says, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Well, well you know sometimes how... You know how sometimes those who are in school, maybe if they're particularly doing postgraduate work, I'm not sure not anybody here, but some sometimes feel like they have all the knowledge in the world and they know everything there is to be known and they need to be able to express it to the rest of us who are not as smart or not as intellectual. Now I say that because I think at one point, maybe a short time in my life, I was one of those until I got into the real world and figured I did not know quite as much 
as I thought I knew. But here we have the sons of the prophets who have said this to Elisha, maybe because they thought, boy, Elisha needs to know this. But Elisha says, be quiet, maybe because it was not new news. Or maybe like for many of us when it comes to bad news or even the grieving that's going to take place, they really don't want to talk about it. Or maybe more likely that they knew that this was going to be his last day, so let's not focus on what's going to happen. Let's see what we can learn right now and what's going to be taking place today. Uh, so why did the Lord bring them to Bethel? We have no further words of Elijah while they were in Bethel. But i got to tell you that every student of the Old Testament, every Jewish reader who has read this story and has come to the place to where it talked about Bethel could not help but think of Jacob. Jacob of the Old Testament son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham, whose name was changed to Israel, the father of the 12 sons and tribes of Israel. Jacob who wrestled with God. Jacob who saw in this very place, in the city of Bethel, or what he called Bethel was, he saw the angels of heaven ascending and descending to the ladder that reached to heaven. Jacob understood here in Bethel how much God loved and cared for him and all of his house. In fact, in Genesis chapter 35, verses 2 and 3, we find that Jacob would return to this place, return there with his family as well, make a new beginning in his walk with the Lord. Now, before the time of Jacob, this place was known by the name of Luz. Not a very attractive name, at least not to me. But Jacob changed the name to Bethel because of his encounter with God here. Bethel means house of God. It's the place where he worshiped and where he encountered God. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know all the things that Elijah was teaching Elisha when he took him to Bethel, but this is something that we can learn, particularly if we want to be an influence on others. And that is, your life proves he is worthy of worship. Your life in Christ proves he is worthy of worship, or at least it should. Now, the difference between worship being a place that you go once a week or once a month or every so often, and genuine worship is that genuine worship becomes that the fact that we worship God because we have only one priority, and that is to exalt the name of Jesus. And then what we do here on Sunday in corporate worship, well, it spills out into the rest of the week. Or maybe better yet, what we do all during the rest of the week prepares our hearts to what's going to take place on Sunday as we come together for worship. So that the worship of God is something that you do not just when we come into this place, but it's something that you do every day. It is what you present and give to God in your work and what you do every day in your home and wherever you are. It's an all-consuming activity which affects every part of your life. But be assured of this. There was idol worship that was taking place in Bethel during the time of Elisha and Elijah. But surely God had brought them to Bethel and has brought us here today through the text to Bethel to remind us that regardless of what we see happening in the world today, no matter how many other people have turned away from God, Remain faithful to God because only He is worthy of worship. Then we find a similar scene as Elijah tells Elisha, Stay here in Bethel, for the Lord will have him go to Jericho. And again, Elisha said, Well, as long as the Lord lives and as long as you're on this earth alive, I will stay with you. Then they come to Jericho, and again, they're sons of the prophet who deem it necessary to tell Elijah that this day the master will be taken from you. And Elisha says, Yes, I know. Be quiet. Let's not speak of it anymore. But why has Elijah brought Elisha and us to Jericho on his last day? Well, in order to understand it, I think we want to go back to the 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, 
three or four pages back, probably in your Bibles, verses 19 through 21. And this is the first encounter that Elijah has with Elisha. For it says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him, cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, yoke of, of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he rose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Well, in this passage, in this first encounter, here we find Elisha who's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, I don't know how many in this service have ever plowed with oxen, but apparently we have some in the first service because I had one come and tell me it'd be a miracle to be able to plow with 12 yoke of oxen. But there he was taking that. And probably also the fact that he was a farmer of means that he was able to plow with that many oxen as well. But when he came and was called to follow Elijah, he left his family, kissed his mom and dad goodbye, and he went and he followed wholeheartedly. Now I want you to notice particularly, after he had, and then also mentioning that he sacrificed the oxen, built a fire with wooden yokes, and gave the food to the people. But if you look back at verse 19, 1 Kings 19, 19, what did Elijah do when he first saw him? He said he put his cloak upon him. Now come on, you who are students of the Bible. Who do you think of when you think of Jericho? Who was the leader of God's people at the fall of Jericho? It was Joshua. He was the disciple of Moses, Moses' successor. Joshua took over the leadership position as the Israelites came into the promised land. What was the first and perhaps the most... Uh, 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 the, perhaps the most famous city to conquer that we know of, Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down. Moses was the great deliverer of God's people and the lawgiver. Joshua was the great military leader. They were both faithful to God until the end. They both lived a life that proved his worthy of worship, but their assignments were quite different. Here we have Elijah and Elisha. In case I haven't told you yet, they were not related. They were not brothers. They weren't father and son, except that they were both Israelites. No indication that before this time of finding Elisha with the 12 yoke of oxen that they knew one another. And they were both prophets of God, but they would also, though, have their ministries would be quite different. We know Elijah, perhaps the most popular as well. But do you know that Elisha, according to the Bible, when what's recorded, performed more miracles than Elijah did? But Elijah was known for preaching and prophesying before great crowds of people. Elisha would take a more pastoral role and he would work more one-on-one -on -one than Elijah. But the torch would be passed, or better yet, maybe we understand is the mantle would be passed. Where did that phrase come from? Well, perhaps from here. Notice 1 Kings 19, 19. We read it a moment ago in the English Standard Version. Here's how it says it in the King James Version. In fact, notice the very last part of that. It says, And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. It's the coat or cloak. It'd be the outer garment, maybe perhaps a coat of prophets that he came and he placed on him, the symbolic way of declaring Elisha as his successor. And then in 2 Kings 2, 13, we read it a moment ago. We find it says there that he took, he all, he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. When Elijah left this earth, falling from him, and the only thing that he left behind was his mantle or his cloak, 
which was a symbol of the fact that the work that he had begun or the work that was going on in him was to be carried on. Can I tell you today, in case you've dozed off, i got a lesson for you here, and it's this. You have a mantle that is to be passed on. You have a mantle that is to be passed on, like Moses to Joshua, like Elijah to Elisha, like in the New Testament from Paul to Timothy. You may be passing on to one, you may be passing on to many. But while you're here on this earth, and when this life is done, it's the only thing that you can leave behind that has value. You may think, well, I have lots of material things, I have money to be able to leave behind, but those things will be gone quickly. But your mantle will define as your personal belief in the risen Lord. Your personal belief in the risen Lord. Notice he didn't wait till the last day in order to pass on his mantle. The very first time that he saw Elisha, he passed on his mantle or his cloak. Most Bible students believe that Elijah and Elisha were together for about six years. Elijah passed along to him his faith in the living God. His wisdom and his walking of the Lord. Elisha saw him by his example, listened to his words. Can I tell you, there's nothing more important that you can pass along to those you love, to complete strangers, or to the next generation than your faith in Jesus. There's a question I'm sometimes asked. What about those people who are uh, living in far-off lands who've never heard of God, they've never heard of Jesus, nobody's, tell, nobody's there to tell them about Jesus? What's going to happen to them? Will they be able to get to heaven? How would it be, how is it fair if they are not? You know, those are good questions, and I'm not going to pretend to be able to answer all the questions. I knew, though, the Bible says that uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We have responsibility to pass along to the next generation as well as to all the world our faith. I also believe that all the Bible is true. I know that there was a man named Noah talk about a lot of different people in the Bible, but there was a man named Noah, built an ark because God told him to. The flood came. Everyone died but Noah and his family. His three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, I believe are their names. Everybody that's been born on this earth is from that family. We now have 8 billion people living here on this earth and many others that have come and gone. This is... Uh, Still, just five days ago, we celebrated Independence Day, so we're thinking about our nation as well. May it never be said in the next generation or a hundred generations from now that somebody says in another part of the world, what about those poor Americans? Somebody did not pass along. Somebody did not share. How is it fair because we did not share and did not tell the next generation? Are you understanding where I'm going with this? Somebody didn't tell somebody about God when it came to Noah and his three sons somewhere along the way if somebody doesn't know God today. Well, may it not be said that somebody doesn't know about God because we failed to pass our faith in Jesus along to the next generation. But it was not just this mentor-mentee relationship that reminded me of Joshua. There's something else in the passage here. So let me remind you back when Joshua was about to enter into the promised land and God was telling Joshua how he's going to cross the Jordan, and Joshua chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, it says, And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priest bearing the ark was dipped into the brink of water. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. Just as Moses had parted the Red Sea, now Joshua parts the Jordan. 
In our passage, Elijah asked the third of the final exam questions, and it's the same as the first two. You stay here. The Lord's called me to go to the Jordan River. And Elisha answers in the same way. Surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. And they walk to the Jordan River. Fifty of the prophets from Jericho, the sons of the prophets, followed. And when they come to the Jordan, what does Elijah do? He rolls up his, the cloak, that mantle, strikes the water, and the water parts, and they walk across on dry ground. I've got to believe that the parting of waters had to be one of God's favorite things because it happened quite often. And if you skip ahead to after Elijah is taken in a whirlwind and the cloak is left, watch again what happens. And we'll read it again. Verse 14, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. We read through verse 4. Look at verse 15. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. They recognized. They remembered about Moses because they heard about Moses and Joshua. They knew about Elijah had passed along on dry ground, and now we have Elisha as well. But there's a fourth and final question on the final exam for Elisha. Did you see it? Uh, verse 9 is where you, we would find that. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Elisha said, Not more riches, not even the wisdom of Solomon, but a double spirit, a double portion of your spirit. Now this idea of a double portion has to do with a spiritual Inheritance, And the usual custom was when it came to a family, the eldest son received a double portion of the inheritance so that he might continue the family legacy. In this case, it was a spiritual inheritance to carry on the godly legacy, which was much more important. So it was the Spirit of God that Elijah, it was in Elijah to be carried on in Elisha. Now, he wasn't asking for more power than Elijah had. He was simply asking of the Spirit, the same power, the same presence of God in Elijah would also be in Elisha. In verse 10, Elijah says, you know, you ask a hard thing. Now understand it was hard for Elijah. We're talking about what God can do because God could not put the Spirit of God in Elisha. Only God could do that. Can I tell you that you cannot put the Spirit of Jesus in anybody that you love? You cannot put the Spirit of Jesus in any of your family members or friends. You cannot put the Spirit of Jesus in the next generation. Only God can do that. But let's agree that we'll give the next generation a fighting chance. And the darker that this world seems to be, the more wicked, evil, and injustice we see in this world should give us even more incentive to let others see the light and the love of Jesus shining through as we seek to live godly lives before others. Elijah tells Elisha, we read it a moment ago, if you see me being taken from you, your request will be granted. And when the 50 sons of the prophets of God saw Elisha part the waters of the Jordan, they knew the Spirit of God is on Elisha, just as they had been seen Elijah part the waters. So we've journeyed today through God's Word from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and even across the Jordan from west to east. 
Then when Elijah was taken away, we crossed back from east to west. And Elijah, he comes back to Jericho. And God performs a second miracle through Elijah. Oh, I love this. I love all miracles, I guess, in the Bible. But I love this particularly, and hopefully you'll be able to see the reason why. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19 says this. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, threw salt in it, and said, Thus says the Lord, I've healed this water from now on. Neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water's been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. You might or might not remember, but when the walls of Jericho fell, Joshua said, let this city not be rebuilt, rebuilt or the land will be cursed. Well, Ahab, the wicked king of Israel, he built back the city of Jericho. And what happened? Well, the water's not good, the land's unfruitful. However, Elijah comes in proof that the Spirit of God is on Elisha. Through Elisha's hands, the water is healed and is good for drinking. It's a miracle of God. And the writer, at the time of this writing anyway, he writes, the water's been healed to this day, meaning it was still good to the time of this writing. However, if you go and you visit the ancient ruins of Jericho, which is some of the most ancient archaeological site on earth, if you go and visit that today, it's likely that your tour guide will come and he'll ask you and he'll invite you to come and to drink from the spring of Elisha, which still bears good water and irrigates the places around it. It's a miracle of God. Can I tell you the greatest miracle that takes place is the miracle, the transformation that's happened in your life the moment that you have received Jesus as your Lord, transformation that continues. It is the greatest miracle. And we put our hands into God. We determine that we want to be able to influence the next generations. It is beyond our wildest imaginations what God can do, or as we see even from this passage, that it can last much farther than we will ever see into the future. Everybody still okay? Okay, we can't finish talking about Elijah unless we talk about John the Baptist. The very last two verses in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, it tells us that Elijah would return in preparation for the coming of the Lord. Then Jesus tells us that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that prophecy. He at least dressed like John the Baptist. 2 Kings chapter 1, the chapter right before, we'll not read it today except maybe one verse, but in that verse... Elijah is given a prophecy about the king that's not going to, he's not going to be healed and gives it to a servant. The servant comes and gives the message and they ask, who gave you that message? They said, oh, I don't know his name. So well, what does he look like? And here you have the verse. It says, they answered him, they, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And they said, oh, that's Elijah. That's how he dresses. And then in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locust and wild honey. Well, i got to tell you, I've not ever I have not found the place to where it says Elijah ate bugs, nor that we should eat bugs. But more than his dress and his message of preparation of the Lord's coming and his humility, we see, similar to Elijah and Elisha and in helping to reach the next generation. 
when John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, began to complain that more people are going to Jesus, more people being baptized by the disciples of Jesus. John comes his famous quote, John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. So I want you to notice the words of Elisha. You remember when he took up the cloak, struck the water? This is what he said in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 14. Notice the part that's highlighted there on the screen. Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He wasn't questioning whether God was there. Instead, he was letting them know that this wasn't about Elijah. It certainly was not about Elisha to say, to look at me. Instead, this is from God. Maybe you've seen this symbol somewhere. He is greater than I. You see them sometimes on the back of windshields or bumper stickers or even T-shirts there sometimes. You know, this was... This originated in Hawaii. There's a store in Hawaii called He's Greater Than I Store. I think there's now a second store that's in California. So if you go to Hawaii, you see more He is Greater Than I stickers on the back of cards than you do Jesus Fish or the Ichthus. It's just very popular there. And it comes from this verse from John, He must increase, but I must decrease. In fact, it's maybe a good conversation starter, though I saw somebody the other day, saw a man get into his car. He had the, this on the back of his car on the back windshield and so I asked him I said oh have you been to Hawaii is that where you got that and suddenly I reminded myself of my mother who was always good at starting conversations with strangers who probably did not want to talk to her and there I was doing it and so you know it was being passed along so I asked him that question I said well do you have you been to Hawaii tell me about your sticker and he said I have no idea it's my daughter's car and he got and he drove away really really fast <laughs> as well so what, does, what is it that you must do in order to be able to influence the next generation? Is it to put a sticker on your car? Well, surely it's got to be something more than that. So how can you help? How about this? May your words and actions point to Jesus and not self. May your words and actions point to Jesus and not self. Oh, I hope I've not wearied you in the journey and talking about all the things we've talked about and not talking to you yet about the most dramatic, about the most important and impressive part of this text. What happened to Elijah? What did Elisha see? I'll point it to you again in 2 Kings chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 tells the story. I thought about showing you some pictures maybe that people have drawn that what they think that event might have looked like. But I think your sanctified imagination will do for us today. But on the final leg of their long day's journey as they crossed the Jordan together the first time, they still went on and talked, and the Bible says chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two. Maybe like Moses in the burning bush, it was on fire, yet it was not consumed. Not a fire from hell, but a heavenly fire revealing the power of God and the spiritual protection even that Elijah had given the nation of Israel by placing himself and submitting to God's hands. So what happened? Did he get into one of those chariots? There was many of them. Maybe, maybe they actually covered all of the night sky, the chariots of fire and the horses of fire. But it doesn't say, but probably not, because then there was the whirlwind. Maybe it was accompanied by thunder and lightning and maybe the great sound of the wind that sounded like a locomotive, although trains had not been invented yet, so a whirlwind will do. Sounds like a tornado to me, but instead of bringing devastation, the whirlwind was the ride to his destination. Do you remember when Elijah was on Horeb 
If you don't know the story, he's in a cave on Horeb. He's waiting to hear from God. And the Bible says that suddenly there was a great wind, but God was not in the wind. Then there was a great earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but God was not in the fire. Then the Bible says God spoke in a still, small voice. I just wonder if there might have been a board meeting or a heavenly staff meeting. The discussion says, speaking about how we're going to get Elijah to heaven. You know, we could take him to heaven like Enoch did. Enoch just suddenly walked and suddenly he was no more. He was with God. Or maybe we could just call him to heaven with a still, small voice. And probably they said, no, that's been done. This time, let's do it in a really, really spectacular way. Why not? And so they did, or so God did. And Elisha cries out, my father, my father, chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and saw him no more, at least not on this earth. So does this remind you of anyone? It might remind you of Jesus. We know that he ascended to heaven in the clouds in a fairly spectacular way. But that was after he died and rose again. So yes, this should remind you of Jesus, but for another reason. Because only two, only two who have ever lived on this earth have never died. In fact, this should remind you that God controls the power of death. Jesus controls the power of death. Jesus could have come. He could have gone back to heaven in even a much more spectacular way than Elijah. But he didn't. He loved us. Instead of going to heaven in a spectacular way, he chose to die for us, even though he did not deserve it. He chose to take our place. He shed his blood for me and for you, for all who come after us. Do you believe this story? And that God is the power over death? Do you believe this prophet was taken to the heaven in a whirlwind? Then believe this. Because he died for you, he gives you power to live and power, and power to thrive in the life that we have now and to live eternally. I have, uh, I have one more biblical person that I want to share with you that this story might remind you of. Me. Okay, not me, but you. In other words, I picture you maybe thinking of this or writing down that you want to say, who, what biblical person should this remind me of? Well, me, it should remind of you. And if that's too confusing, just say, okay, maybe me and you. Now, wait a second. We're talking about biblical people, people who are in the Bible. We weren't in the Bible. Oh, yeah, you were. Yes, you are. In fact, many times over, but let's use... Jesus' prayer from John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, to where Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who believe in me. That's you if you're a follower of Jesus. All those who believe in me through their word, that they, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me, and I in you. And they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. All those who are in Christ will not die the second death. And all those who are alive at the coming of Christ will rise to be with Jesus forever in spectacular fashion. Why shouldn't this story remind us of the fact, I will be alive with Jesus forevermore. Therefore today, I will trust him and make him known. Let's pray together.
gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be able to come and be able to worship you today. May our lives continue to prove that you are the only one who is worthy of worship. We pray, Father, that you may be at work in my life and other believers who are here, that we might represent you in a manner that is worthy of the calling of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to be able to have influence and to share with others, and particularly the generations to come. Thank you for the power of God that exists in us because we know it is not us, but it is you who, are, who is in us who makes this possible. We also pray, Father, for any who may be here, any who may be listening today, who do not know you as Lord and Savior, that have not yet called upon you. For, Lord, as we have talked, maybe primarily to believers, it is so that more may come to know you as Lord and Savior. So today, may the day be the salvation of anyone who's here or anyone who's listening that does not know you as Lord and Savior. May they call upon you. It's in Christ's name that we lift these prayers.